So, hey folks, Christine here from Playful Podcast. Today's guest, Jenny Flores, works for Wells Fargo and runs their small business philanthropy unit. And if you think you know a bit about banking um, and you think you know how banks can help, listen to this because you're going to be blown away. Jenny started at Wells Fargo after a career in banking right at the beginning of COVID and within weeks had masterminded and gotten approved a huge program to transfer dollars that the bank was making on income from new loans that it was generating to do COVID relief to turn that money back into additional relief for small business owners. So that money didn't just stay in the coffers of the bank, but was redeployed back out and it became a $420 million fund. She's a big thinker and a big dreamer, and you're going to love hearing all about um, her vision of impact and changing the world. Thanks for being here. You're listening to The Playful Podcast with Christine Mitchie. Let's jump right in. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to The Playful Podcast. Those of you that are going to be looking at this on YouTube, which is a feature of season two, you'll see that my guest today, Jenny Flores, is wearing a shirt that says joyful. So joyful, playful, all the fulls. We are full of joy, and I am so overjoyed to have Jenny Flores joining us today. We're going to do a quick introduction. I'm going to have Jenny tell you about where she sits in the change sector and how she's a change maker. I've had the real privilege to work with Jenny over the last three or four years and um, getting to have this time together and you get to meet her who don't know her yet, I know you'll enjoy it. Welcome, Jenny. Great. It is fabulous to be here today. Thank you for the invitation. Mm -hmm. I am Jenny Flores. I currently serve as the head of small business growth philanthropy for Wells Fargo, and I've had a long career in social impact. Right now, my focus is on entrepreneurship, we invest in entrepreneurs who have a lot of promise to make mm -hmm. impact in their communities. So we make sure they have all the resources they need to grow and thrive. And just a more general introduction to who I am. I'm one of these people who believes that change is possible. I dream big. I mm -hmm. back people who others may think are crazy. Like, how is that going to happen? We'll figure it out. Let's go do it. Yeah. So joyfulness is part of how I work. It is not always easy work, but it's always fun. Oh, I love it. You dream big. That is such a great way to start the day, I suspect, every day. And we talk on Playful about how the folks that come on the podcast are doing big, sometimes heavy work, work that isn't in a given day finished. We don't solve most of the problems that we're working on by Wednesday right. or by five. Um and so the resiliency around having a joyful attitude, a playful spirit to do the work. And I have always seen that in you. So thank you for coming here and bringing your big dreams to the podcast. I ask everyone this as one of the first questions when we get together is, who's the most playful person? By far, my daughter. She's a 10-year-old who has a lot of energy pays attention to details. Mm. So that has taught me a lot. I am a visionary person and I live often on what's the big idea? What's the big opportunity? And she's like, mommy, look at this flower. Have you noticed how the petals can reflect light? So my daughter has a completely different perspective on the world. She definitely um, allows me to be playful at the most unexpected moments. Ah, 
Is she the kind of gal that uh, might pick up a roly poly bug when you're in the park? Roly poly bug, spiders, snakes, <laughs> anything. <laughs> anything. I love it. Stuart Brown is a, a doctor and researcher, and he was on the podcast earlier in the season, and he's the kind of preeminent play researcher. And he does a play history exercise, I think, with his individual clients when he was in private practice, and he also does it in group settings. And he asks folks to recall their first playful memory or to think back about, like you're mentioning a 10-year-old, and so many people mention their kids. Take us back, if you can, to little Jenny. And when I just say, what's your first memory of play? What comes to mind? For me, it definitely has to be, I'm an immigrant and I came to San Francisco on October 30th. Mm -hmm. So the very next day is Halloween. And I was almost three years old and I had cousins who at the time were maybe five, six. And they said, if you only learn one or a few words in English, it has to be trick or treat. <laughs> I'm like, why? And I remember they like, just say it and good things happen. If you just say trick or treat, people give you things, candy and other things. And so tomorrow you're going to practice. And they kept saying, say it again, trick or treat, say it again. And I kept doing it over. And so finally on Halloween, we go out and they had one of those like plastic mask costumes. And I was like, this is hot. This is not going well. And they're just say it. And so I kept saying trick or treat and all this candy. I'm like, oh, <laughs> these are magic words. And it was just like, I remember that so vividly because I remember the annoyance of like, stop making me say it. And then the surprise of what those words actually can do for you on October 31st. As a child, oh. there's no better thing than like the treats, right? Like, Absolutely. And that was your second day in... America? Right. In San Francisco? Yes. Yeah. The second wow. day I got to practice my English and get free candy. <laughs> I love it. I was thinking maybe that's some version of this immigrant image that has been, and I don't know if it's accurate, you could probably tell me, purported over the years that, that there's this vision that the streets are paved with gold in America. And what you found is that the doors open and candy comes out. It's like the same for a child. Like it's amazing. Yes. Better than gold, you know? right? better than gold. It's edible. <laughs> I, I love it. I love it. Yeah. Tell me if you would about choosing a career in banking, because I don't think people think about banking as, oh, that's a really fun career to choose. Tell right. us how you've made it fun and playful. It has definitely been a fun experience for me. And granted, I did not look at banking as the fun industry or the fun path, it was very practical for me. I thought about it from, hey, if I'm going to go make impact, I really probably should learn how money functions, how to get the mm -hmm. money and how to use the money. Like, how do mm -hmm. I think about credit and under other things that I kept coming up against? And so it was a decision I made to get those skills. And in my mind, I thought two to three years, I can jump back out to the fun stuff. And boy, was I wrong about mm -hmm. that. Banking can be an incredibly rewarding, impactful, mm. fun experience. And for me, I find that to be true because I was able to align my values and what I thought was possible in the world with how I was spending my time. Mm. So I went into these banks and thought, could we do a better job of serving 
people like me, immigrants and others who don't always have that chance to purchase homes? Or could we, for example, one of the things I'm most proud of earlier in my career was we built the kindergarten to college program with then Mayor Newsom in San Francisco that every kindergartner who started got a college savings account and we would match. And so we had to build that from scratch, from the tech, all of it. That was super fun to meet with families and ask them about their aspirations for their children, like what they envision, how could we help? Let's design for this. Let's build it. Let's put massive infrastructure from this like global bank to work for people here. It's been so fun. And part oh. of it is because I bring heart to everything I do. Yeah. And it like is infectious. The energy, joyful energy is infectious. Absolutely. And so I have found that banking can allow you to do that. You just have to be courageous enough to say that. We're going to do this. Yeah. And let's figure it out. So it's been fun. Jenny, does that program still exist? It does. In fact, now Governor Newsom yeah. has taken that statewide. And now it's a statewide model for how we help okay, young people. I'm glad we're talking about it because I feel like I should have known about that. So here we are talking about it. So that program exists. Where would people find out more about that? I think that you can go to kindergarten to college, I think, okay, .org. Great. And you can find out about the program in San Francisco and then it has information about all the other iterations of the program, but also I'm sure on the governor's website, because it was a recent announcement about the expansion. It's so fun. And it's rewarding to see students who, when we designed it very early on, are graduating. I'm, yeah, I'm old, but still, it like these children that were kindergartners are now on their way to college. And yeah. it's yeah. amazing to see. It I love actually- that. When you work in the education realm and get to touch that, if you stick around, you do get to see the kids that benefited coming back and giving back as teachers, mentors, in other ways, because time passes, right? And that's such a beautiful thing to see. So for many of those listening will know about, and some won't. So in banking, there is something called the Community Reinvestment Act, which was a piece of legislation that passed coming up about 50 years ago. 40 to 50 years ago. And it was to mitigate some previous and still ongoing systemic barriers built into the banking system that kept people locked out. And so the Community Reinvestment Act, this is my layman's description of it. And Jenny, you can tell me if I'm getting it right. Mandates that banks of different sizes have different requirements in terms of giving back into the communities that were previously disadvantaged and locked out. And that can both be in loan activity. They have to be lending a certain amount in those communities and also giving money away philanthropically. So in the time that I've been around people like you that have worked in the, I was gonna say the generous part of banking, but like the philanthropic part of the banking world, I've always thought those look like the funnest jobs at the bank. Certainly the people that have those roles are really driven and motivated by the chance to make a difference. Tell me what I might get right or wrong about being in that role in especially a big bank, like a big national bank, for example, like Wells Fargo. I would say that CRA, the Community Reinvestment Act, has been the pillar of economic development strategies in banking because it's a compliance program. And we have to, every two to three years, 
take all of our information and feed it over to the regulators who will analyze it and then issue a rating. Like, did you do what you said you were going to do? And are you doing it well or not? And so we have that responsibility to continually think about how do we serve low-income communities through lending, investment, and service? Are we innovating in the space? Are we meeting the need? And so that part of CRA is really fun because you can get creative, right? If we want to meet communities where they're at, then we need to flex on potentially underwriting, outreach, how our services are developed. So it's great for those people who like the creative process. I think it's a great role for people with that ability. And then there are other areas of CRA, which are just like data crunching. You have to have your data. You have to manage your error rates. Like it's very technical. And so Mm. if you have a heart for impact, but you're not a designer and you love Excel, (laughs) then there's a role for you there too. (laughs) And that can be very fun to be able to take the data, analyze it, run the ratio analysis that we do, translate it for management, figure out where the gaps are. All of that is a very necessary part of CRA. And then there's this other area where managing the relationship with the regulators, Mm. right? Like that whole process of ensuring they're up to date on what they need to know. If there's material information that changes, we have to alert them and it has to be done immediately. All that relationship management with a regulator is a very huge responsibility for those teams. And there are jobs for those people who really like that detailed engagement with our regulators and they want to build deep relationships and help explain information and break it all down in ways that are easy to understand. So I think CRA, most people know it as the, oh, look at you, you're at the face of the program and you're investing the money and that's exciting. But behind the scenes, there are a lot of different people putting their skill set to use to make the program successful. I love it. What's, and this could be in the realm of CRA or more broadly in, in the kind of, in community social CSR or a corporate social responsibility or others, what's the most audacious thing you've pulled off? I would say when I got to Wells Fargo, I got hired right before the pandemic. And of course I didn't know COVID was a thing. I just remember joking, oh, we need social distance, like not really understanding what that meant. And then it became real in March when, yeah, you're not going out. We're all home. And all of a sudden, we were in in shock and kind of trying to figure out what we were supposed to be doing to support our customers. And in that moment, I remember thinking, after getting analysis from trusted sources, that the most impacted were Latino, Black Mm -hmm. entrepreneurs whose businesses were hanging by a thread about to close and potentially permanently. I had this idea that the bank could and should consider giving away the paycheck protection fees that we collected. And so I was invited to design. So if we did that, how would that look? And how would we execute? What's the strategy, the ops model, the whole thing end to end. And I had a week to do it. Oh my God. God. And I had just been at the bank, what, like not even 60 days. And when I was like, okay, I know this stuff. I've been doing this for, let's just get the best practice, let's design. And we turned it around and one of our execs said, okay, it's ready for our CEO review. If he says, go, it's go. And then it went green, like the project got green lit. And I'm like, oh my gosh, okay. So now we're doing this and I'm doing it remotely with colleagues I may not have met yet. Like it's a lot. And then I realized once accounting came back and said, here's your budget, you have $420 million. Oh my God. 
So we're like, okay. So we didn't know the magnitude of the opportunity. I had modeling on different sizes of fund, but we did not get to $420 million in my assessment. I'm like, wow, this is phenomenal and a huge responsibility both to the community and the bank to make sure that this gets executed with excellence. And so I would say that felt very audacious because I had just arrived and within maybe 60 to 90 days, I had a $420 million budget and a plan. Wow. That was fun. And you referenced the P program. So those who you may, who are listening may recall the biggest probably COVID program for relief that included lending. And so the banks ended up being in business relationships with new borrowers because of the program. And so with Jenny, I think if I got it right, what you're describing is you said, hey, that's new business for us, new revenue that we are earning because of these new relationships that are coming about because of this bad thing. Um, Why don't we use that money, not just for bottom line, but to turn that back around for additional impact? And there were a host of reasons why it made sense to do that. It was just being able to articulate that and then package it up in ways that were like very clear to our executive team and our CEO that let's do this. And I think our, I give a lot of credit to our like executives and our CEO, because that was a courageous move to make without knowing we were like all trying to figure it out. And so I'm always so grateful. Wow. That was how we decided to proceed. Yeah. It's one of those things. I can't remember if it's Churchill or who, or even I can't get the quote, but that thing about being ready, being ready for an opportunity. And you came into the role on paper, 60 days, who are you to create this new program, which turns out to be $420 million program, but you were ready because you had the spirit, right? The joyful spirit, you dream big, you think big, and you were ready from all everything else you'd done previously to make an audacious statement and proposal. Oh my, that's so... Surreal. I'm like, oh, okay. You imagine what it could be like. We could do this, and you're like building, and all of a sudden it's real, and you got to go. And wow, I'm so thankful to the teams that all made it happen. But yes, fantastic. So I have to ask. Yeah, absolutely. And that was good news. And but Wells Fargo has been in the barrel a bit in the press over the last few years, getting front front page or the proverbial front page. How is that for you when you know the work what you're coming in and doing every day is the good news, the make a difference, the change the world work. And has that given your department and your work more kind of reputation within the bank? Does that happen? Yes. So back to what I said about me earlier, I just believe that everything that you do in life needs to have integrity. And that matters a lot to me. So when we designed Open for Business, we flexed on everything. So we said, this money can be grants to small businesses. This money can help re-underwrite a loan that is right now not feasible for this entrepreneur. So we can take that interest rate that maybe was 6% to zero. We can delay payments of loans. If a lender needs loan loss reserve because of the risk, we can let that money sit that way. Or we, if you want to put it on your balance sheet as equity to lever it up, you can do that as well. Like We thought of all the scenarios that made sense from the perspective of community to design for community, not for us. And so when that program began to yield results, it was so obvious that it made an impact and people would say, were it not for open for business, which is what we called the fund, we would not have made it. 
were it not for the grant I received, I wouldn't exist as a, a business. And then more importantly, it was like the they would say, and they people still say, like the way it got designed, like Jenny, you your team called us and asked like our opinion. They want they cared about what was feasible or not. You asked us, like, could this work if we did it this way? What value do you see in this? And so it felt like that program, people say I created it, but really we created it in community. And it was all of us putting down like this, do this, don't do this piece because this is Mm -hmm. a ramification that could happen, but ultimately make it flexible. And so the program has had incredible value to the Wells Fargo brand Mm -hmm. and it is measured. We've had almost 2 billion positive impressions on the work that we're doing. We've had like people of influence who would never have said something good about the company come out and say, this was great. We value the leadership of Wells Fargo on small business. Like they did the right thing and we continue to do the right thing. And so I'm really careful about understanding root cause. Why is this happening if we have Mm -hmm. an issue and how do we solve for the issue versus I'm not trying to grab headlines. Headlines will come if you do the right thing. And so that is how we do business. Like we did all of this work during the pandemic and we have supported over 200,000 businesses nationally of the businesses we supported. We can see that they're growing revenues 20% during the toughest economic time that we face. Like, wow, it's, we can measure it. Yeah. And so now we're saying if we can help businesses during one of the most difficult times in recent history, we should be able to help them as we're coming out of <laughs> when it. things are going we better. Scale up. Like we should be doing magical things. And so we are now doing that, thinking about, for example, we put another $100 million against a model that helps entrepreneurs grow their assets. By that, I mean they can purchase a building. Like I want to own my assets now. And so we give them money as a grant or very low cost capital for the down payment. Oh, great. To purchase buildings and like real balance sheet growth that that can be levered up for wealth creation. And we're in the second year of that program. Next year, we'll have all the insights that we've generated and we want to do more of that. Like you say, close the wealth gap, go close the wealth gap. Yep. I love it. Folks may have, many folks, I think during the pandemic, learned more because it became front page news about the challenges that entrepreneurs of color in particular have getting capital. And people that are philanthropic, I think were moved by that, but didn't really have any experience or idea of how would they help a business owner. And some of the organizations that Wells Fargo, for example, supports, these inter- they're called intermediaries. They can take in charitable dollars and they are nonprofit organizations that can take charitable dollars and then lend or give cash grants to business owners. So as well as Fargo and some of the other banks of all sizes, regional minority deposit institutions and all of the rest have leaned into that intermediate sector, they've made it more possible for philanthropic dollars to get into the hands of business owners, which right. I think that won't, we won't revert back on that. That will, because that channel is now, that groove is now wider than it used to be, which I think is great. Right. And for my team and for Wells Fargo, now we're thinking, how do we open up the markets to support Mm -hmm. these important lenders? Right. So we are very active in the state small business credit initiative that came through the CDFI, the treasury. Yeah. 
and doing some incredible work to help states set up special purpose lending vehicles that will tranche loans and sell them into the secondary market. It's like hardcore banking for impact. And it's wonky. And most people don't care about what I'm saying. But what I'm saying can help increase lending by 100 times, 100x lever on that. It's phenomenal. That's why I say banking can seem like, oh, what a wonky thing, but it's powerful. Like it's where money flows from that. And we should understand how banking works so that we can flex it to meet the needs of communities that don't often have access. So good. Okay. I'm going to do two things. I'm going to get my ice cream. I'm also going to close this window because there's some gardening seems to be happening outside my Mm. window and it's getting a little loud. So I'm going to do that. And if you would, folks, so this is the what's the scoop part of the episode. Jenny and I both have ice cream from Salt and Straw. This is the second episode this season that has been sponsored by Salt and Straw, which is a, a ice cream company based up in Portland, Oregon. If you wouldn't mind, Jenny, will you bring the whole box in and show us what this looks like? Because you folks, when ice cream arrives on your door, it's a bit of a production. And we've never gotten to show this before. I can't lift the box, though. Oh, you can't lift the box. Okay. Then no. just bring in one pint. Yeah. Sorry about that. Sorry. I have a back injury I'm recovering from, so I can't lift anything except for the one little ice cream thing that I'm about to eat. Okay, perfect. So we're going to have this ice cream and we'll see. I think they sent a few flavors. So Jenny, grab bag it, whatever you want to bring in, and we'll see what you've got and we'll see what I've got. Excellent. I'll be right back. There's this window. That's Okay, so back here I am. The great folks at Salt and Straw have supported the Playful Podcast with this. And I got to tell you guys, ice cream is, of course, the ultimate result. But the delivery of the ice cream is a pretty big deal when you're sending something that you know needs to stay frozen. So this is my carton. Okay. I actually was able the box was huge, but the, what was in it, I could lift. So it's this. Oh, okay. Look at this. And it's, it was it Jenny, as I'm rec- recollecting when I got mine, it's wrapped in some dry ice or some sort of something to keep it from melting. Oh, it's a lot of ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> My daughter will be so happy. Oh, wow. Marionberry coconut sherbet is one of the Ooh, flavors. Okay. Yum. Strawberry, honey, balsamic, and black pepper is the second. A lot of ice cream. Sea salt with caramel ribbon. Wow. Salted, malted chocolate chip cookie dough. Ooh. Sounds like a 10-year-old might enjoy that. We're kidding about that. And olive oil. Oh, I've had that one. It's like a vanilla with olive oil. It's quite amazing. Okay, so what are you going to choose? Okay, these are hard decisions, but I'll have to make an executive choice real quick. I'm going to have the sea salt with caramel ribbons. Okay, and I folks have to admit that they didn't just arrive today, so I'm down to my last carton. I got five a couple weeks ago, and I've had it, like I had mentioned in another podcast, we had it. So I've got left strawberry honey balsamic with black pepper, that one you referenced Mm. as well which is going to be sort of fruity and spicy at the same time, I'm guessing. Okay. Let's see. This thing is frozen solid. Oh, and mine's melting. So between the two of us. (laughs) Now I'm eating in front of you. That's not very nice. Let's see. Okay. I've got the top off now. Luckily it's warm today, so maybe it'll melt quickly. 
Yeah, no worries. Wow. So one of the things I will convey is that their packaging is amazing because my ice cream is frozen solid. So I'm going to have to let it sit for a little bit. Oh my goodness. Okay. You may not actually get to eat during the podcast. This will be first. Look, um, it's so I'm solid. Oh, <laughs> this is like what happens when you don't uh, think through the steps. Oh my God. No, I love it. And I guess ultimately, if you're going to be in the business of making and shipping ice cream, that is the first thing you want to not melt. I don't have a mission accomplished. I have ice cream, which is great. Okay. So later on in the show notes, we will put, you'll have to let me know which flavor you, you tried and how it was. And we'll give you your, your ranking and review, but Excellent. let's do the part where we talk about, we use this play on words. What's the scoop on how you came to care? And can you share with us anything that kind of feels like it answers the question about your impact origin story? Yeah. So I had mentioned my playful memory. My early playful memory yeah. was about me saying trick or treat and then getting candy. But really, I think my, that the whole experience of being an immigrant helped to shape the mm. way that I view the world. And I recognize that we have a lot more in common as humans than sometimes we can see on the surface. And that ultimately everybody, no matter where they come from, they want the same things. It's, I want to have a happy life. Mm -hmm. I want my children to have success in whatever they choose to do. I want to live in a safe neighborhood, right? Mm -hmm. Like I want to have healthcare in case I'm not feeling well. Like I can go have a checkup. Like yeah. we want fundamentally the same things. Mm -hmm. So I saw that because in my community, immigrants were from all over the world. And so I would hear the stories and like, oh, those are similar experiences. Uh -huh. And yes, like you're looking for a good job. And yes, you want your child in the best school. And yes, like it's important that we recognize that commonality that really binds us and builds these beautiful communities all over the world. And so I knew from a very early age because um, as a child, I just picked up English much faster than the adults. They would ask me for help saying things like, mm -hmm. hey, do you, can you, if I were at the store, can you tell them I need to return this because ah. like, it wouldn't, it didn't work for me. Yeah. And so I'd say, okay, sure. And I was a child, maybe six or seven translating for adults on adult matters. Mm -hmm. My mom would say, okay, we have to go to the doctor and I want you to tell the doctor I get headaches and tell them what wow. I say. I'm like, okay. So I became really agile at interpreting both what people were saying and then what they were not saying. I could read people mm -hmm. like there's hesitation mm -hmm. or I'm sensing fear on this. And I didn't recognize as a child that, that would help shape my leadership style mm -hmm. and my ability to be a translator inside these massive corporations. So like doing work on impact isn't always something that if you go all the way at the top of the chain for certain companies, they're not always thinking that, right? It's not like, yeah, oh, this is not prioritized today. And my job is to make that experience that I understand so intimately, I can translate that into a language that other people can understand that may not have the same experience. And it is magic to me. I'm like, oh, if you can sell ice to Eskimos. I'm like, no, I can translate messages so that they can understand them in their heart. Because we're all human. 
And so that is my superpower. It really is. And I, and the story you shared with us about your, the first magical phrase, trick or treat. There's really a through line that you're sharing with us about what you found the power of, because it sounds like you were communicating on behalf of your older cousins. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> and you were like standing between the person who had the candy on the door and wow. And then to take that to thinking about you taking this, for example, open for business up the chain, this new employee, this new executive and saying, I think we should do this. And here's how, wow. And translating right. that so that people all felt their needs were being met. Right. Along the way. And oftentimes, That's- and I think my earlier part of my career, I would come and say, there's a massive gap in the Hispanic market and we're not serving the, the like, and they're like, yeah. And where's the profit and how do you, you know? And so mm. I recognize, oh, they care about the profit <laughs> or, oh, mm. that person cares about the increasing market share or that person. So I think the lesson is understand what motivates the person you're trying to influence because just because you think it's important, it's not important to everybody else, but the magic happens when you can connect with with what they need. Yes. And then it becomes, oh, I'm going to do this because I see the benefit of it from their perspective. Yeah. In the next conversation, lead with the thing they care about to get to the same end. I love it. Okay. Last couple questions as we wrap up. And I'm I'm feeling really guilty about the ice cream, but I know you'll be having ice cream over the next several days or weeks. (laughs) weeks. (laughs) Not how quickly you guys. (laughs) Ice cream. When I think okay. of you over the next few weeks, I'll be like, oh, yeah, you're doing good. Good on ice cream. Yeah. Um, good. So in the realm of play as a form of kind of rest and resiliency and sustaining our energies, Brene Brown, great. I've shared this before on the podcast. And one of the talks of hers that I heard that, that resonated a lot was about, she said, to have, make sure you have something you do for no reason. And I remember hearing this during kind of the early part of the pandemic. In a weird week, we kind of had more time on our hands. We didn't really, but we did. We, at least we were, we were, di- we were busy in different ways. And it was, it was, we were around the house and the neighborhood more. And so I was like, I don't think I do anything for no reason. So I started to think, of what could I add in? And I wonder what, when I say that, and I repeat that quote from Brene Brown, if what comes to mind for you, and I guess the thought is it's something that it's not to produce anything or accomplish anything. It's just for you. Anything like that? I actually do have something that I do just because I get so much joy from the, pro- the entire process. So I like to make floral arrangements. Oh, I have flowers in my house. My husband would buy them every week because he's amazing. He'd be like, I brought you flowers. I brought you flowers. And I'm like, that's great. And sometimes I'd be like, let me rearrange these. I don't like the way these ah. look like this. And then it became that I started taking apart all the bouquets he would bring me. I'm like, <laughs> what are you doing? And like, I'm going to rearrange them. I'm going to make it. I'm just going to make it from high to low. I'm going to play with high. I'm going to. And so he's like, why don't you go to the flower mart and just get the, it's probably cheaper that way. And you can just do anything you want. Oh, brilliant idea. My husband's brilliant. And so I go there and you can get, and especially if you get them fresh in the morning, they're just so beautiful. And I can just play with color and texture and height. Oh. And I can create for me, like I can create what I want to be around the whole week because they last a week or more if you take care of them. 
And I put them in my bedroom. I put them in the living room. I put them, and it's just like I talk to my flowers, like, you pretty girl. You are so pretty. (laughs) (laughs) You are so sassy. And are they all girls? Some are not. Some are very more male energy. (laughs) Some are they thems. My daughter says, mommy, not everything. You don't know. Uh So some are they them. Yeah. And so I just love that bringing the outside in. I love the smells. I love oh, just like being able to walk by the room and just remember so like, fun. oh, I created that. It's so fun. I And I'm you can't mess up. No, not, there's no wrong way. No, it is just absolutely. creation. No training required. No, not at all. Not at all. This is one of the best ideas I've ever heard. I'm like, I'm, we should probably have like a gallery on the podcast of the things people do for fun or quote unquote for no reason, which is fun. The reason is fun, but no other reason. And this, oh my goodness, maybe we can even see a picture or two. I would love oh, yeah. to see. So I how often do you go to the flower mart? What, like weekly? I try to go once a month. I go yeah. and create and just enjoy. And out of say, like I spent a hundred dollars, I can make six bouquets from that. Oh my gosh. Which is a lot. Love it. Yeah, it well, you fun. said you use the word create and in Dr. Brown, who I mentioned earlier, has eight play personalities that he's identified and they are joker, kinesthete, which is physical play, explorer, director, storyteller, competitor, collector, creator. And I hear creator in there for sure. I also hear collector, right? Because you the gathering the flowers is part of the part of the activity. And then you're talking to him. I hear storytelling even in in the, in the arranging. And then what it, it, the story, the flowers then tell a story. I just think that's just literally and figuratively beautiful. I read the different ones and I, I, I think for most of us, it's true. We have pieces of all of this, but I think yeah. the most, the one that I might lead with more often is the explorer. Mm-hmm. Is, there one, is there an explorer one? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Okay. Yes. Because I'm a, an adventurous type of person. Like I will go do the thing that, oh, that seems interesting. I'm going to go over there and explore this place or this idea or this person who's intriguing me for some reason. And I will go like, hey, can we have coffee or Zoom date or whatever? And I have made some incredible friendships that way, just based on energy. Like I am being pulled by you for a reason and I don't have any particular reason why or like an offer or anything. Right. It's just... Right. Get to know each other. And I have had, like I said, some of my most incredible, like, soul friends have come from that. Yeah. Oh, I thank you for one of the things in the book that uh, was an aha for me when he talked about, because exploring, I think, first feels like maybe the most traditional thing is going out into the world and like physically exploring. And then he talked about exploring experiences. And you're telling me about exploring people, right? Ooh, there's our timer. And I, I just, I love that thought. And especially during this virtual work period we've been in, in some ways it's become a lot easier to indulge your curiosity about another yeah. person. Because if you don't necessarily have to jump on a plane to go find out more about them, <laughs> you just have to have the right Zoom number. <laughs> on Zoom. And I've done that. like. Mostly initial conversations are on Zoom. And then if I happen to be traveling in their city, I'm like, let's have dinner. And then it's like yeah. a love fest. It's like, oh, I feel like we've known each other forever. And yeah. that's how these deep friendships 
many have evolved from that initial curiosity. So one, one story I need to ask you about, and this is because I saw it on LinkedIn, but I think you got to go to the White House not that long ago. Mm-hmm. And yes. I wonder if that was fun. <laughs> and you were there with a big group. Yeah. We, back to like deep friendships and connections. There was someone who now works in DC who worked with me for maybe six months. And then she said, I really want to go back into government. And so I'm going to go. And we, I said, great. I adore you. You are just amazing. So just keep me posted on any ways we can continue working together. So we have on this issue of supporting women entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. And so she said, I'm putting this event together um, that will involve the White House. So it'll be a tour of the White House, an event with the president at the White House, and then some things um, with the Senate the, the following day. So let's plan the White House. Let's like have fun with it. And so that was how I ended up at the White House in this wonderful experience where the second you walked in, the people greeting you were like, welcome, enjoy, just explore. I'm an explorer. So I'm like, yes, yes. I'm going to all the rooms. And I'm like, no one's going to, security won't kick me out. <laughs> I'm like, okay. So we got to just roam and Whoa. explore. And then we had a sit down with the president and he talked about his commitment and his administration's commitment to women entrepreneurs and made announcement. And it was just such a joyous moment because I got to share it with people that I just absolutely love. Yeah. Irrespective of the work we do, like they are incredible human beings. And, but then to do the work with them and to share these experiences in these moments, they really cement the bonds that we have around doing the heavy lifting, but then stopping to celebrate the achievements that we have had collectively. Oh, I love it. I could talk to you forever. That's also, though, feels like a really a nice kind of, that ties a bow on our conversation today. And I'm so grateful to know you. I'm so grateful and, and thankful for the work you're doing out there in the world and what you're going to do next, the next big idea you have. We will be watching. <laughs> Great. Thank you for the opportunity to talk and share and laugh. And in maybe half an hour, I will be enjoying <laughs> the ice cream. Thank you. All right. See you soon. Thanks. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Hi, this is Jenny Flores, Head of Small Business Growth Philanthropy for Wells Fargo. And I just want to say thank you to Salt and Straw for the most delicious ice cream. I received it on one of these dreary afternoons and I had a scoop of the sea salt with caramel ribbons and it was just amazing. It brought so much joy into my life, into my family's life. It was the most perfect combination of buttery and salty and sweet. And so I just want to say my sincere appreciation for sharing such a joyous ice cream with me and my family. We are definitely going to go back for more. Thank you so much. Stay tuned for Double Scoop, two delicious insights from today's episode. Hey, everybody. I am uh, doing the double scoop. Uh, I am in my playful outfit. If you're watching on uh, the YouTube channel, you'll see that I am uh, no makeup, hair up, uh, tank top. I'm getting ready to go on a little excursion with my daughter, having some playful time. We're going to go see Midsummer Night's Dream 
outside in um, Griffith Park in Los Angeles, uh, outdoor Shakespeare. So I wanted to um, not hesitate, though, even though I'm not dressed up for it, to give you the double scoop from the Jenny Flores episode. So exciting. You know, you just heard uh, she had to call back in with her update on the ice cream from Salt and Straw because it was frozen solid during the episode. So uh, she had that lovely uh, share with us about the ice cream they ate and the time with her daughter. So that was fantastic. And back to the episode, the double scoop, what stuck with me from the conversation, two things that stuck with me among many. One is, I just love how Jenny said that she dreams big and she approaches every day, um, both with a joyful heart and big expectations about the impact she can have and the problems she can solve. And then part two, because of that, when she was just days into her job at Wells Fargo and they were planning a COVID response, she came up with this plan to turn these dollars um, that the bank was making on these uh, COVID-related loans into a charitable fund. And unbeknownst to her, it turned out to be a $240 million fund. And uh, she designed it quickly because she was ready, right? And they say that, you know, when opportunity and preparedness come together, that's the magic. And so she was ready for that. So the second double scoop is, you know, keep learning, stay prepared, think big, be joyful, and eat your ice cream. All right, folks. Thanks a lot. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Playful Podcast with Christine Mitchie. If you want to stay playful as you tackle the world's problems and get all the scoop on today's tastiest ice cream, click to follow or subscribe so you never miss an episode. You can learn more about Christine on LinkedIn and her work with changemakers worldwide at impactfulinc.com. That's impactful with two L's, I-N-C.com.